This is an instant reaction episode of the Basement Breakdown. My name is Hayden Adams. I'm the sports editor at The Observer, joined by sports writer Aiden Thomas. Aiden was covering Notre Dame's 42-26 win over Florida State this past Saturday. Uh, Aiden, let's just get right to it. What did you think of the win? Uh, it definitely it started out sloppy. Uh, it got a little bit better as the game went on. I'm glad, personally, after the first half took like two and a half hours that I wasn't there until 2 a.m. So I was pretty happy that the defenses kind of came to play a little bit more in the second half. But there was definitely – it definitely didn't feel like Notre Dame had their A game defensively. The offense looked pretty crisp. Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree had some huge days. Um, I never felt like the game was in doubt, but definitely wasn't the cleanest performance uh, that you probably would have liked to see coming off the layoff. So – uh yeah you hit the high points um what what are your three biggest takeaways from this game uh yeah absolutely my three biggest takeaways number my first was that Jadon McKinley became the wide the number one wide receiver today uh I don't it was pretty it was evident enough from the stat sheet that he was Book's most trusted target and that was with McKinley going up against Asante Samuel who had three interceptions coming into the game and and Book was targeting McKinley all day, five receptions, 107 yards. You could tell by the way Book was talking about him in the postgame presser that he just trusts McKinley. And even Brian Kelly said, like, McKinley, he said uh, that nobody – he doesn't think anybody in college football can cover him. So they really trust him, and I think he's becoming the number one guy for them in a relatively unproven receiver core. Um, second is that they definitely are willing to – go with a two-back two approach with Williams and Tyree. Williams is definitely like 1A, but the fact that they were willing to use Tyree in a bigger game against FSU rather versus like USF and give him 11, 11 carries to Williams 19 really showed me that maybe while Flemish there won't be like that third guy as much, William, um, Williams and Tyree are definitely like a two, a, you know, a one-two punch out of the backfield. When you add in book, that's three really good options in the rushing game. Uh, and then third, uh, sorry, I blanked for a second there. Third is that, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name, but Jeremiah. That's the one every single time. Um, but JOK, he is an absolute monster defensively. I don't even know exactly what his stat line reads tonight, but if you, if I had to like record the the decibel level of the uh, the Irish crowd tonight, which granted is pretty small, but like I would say three of the top five were some of the hits that JOK made on some FSU guys. He was just absolutely laying down the wood tonight, just destroying some uh, FSU backs and Jordan Travis. So I think he's going to be an ab- a huge X factor for the defense moving forward. Yeah, I agree with all those points. Um... I, I saw Book took one shot to Kevin Austin, who was coming back from injury. And after that, it seemed like he turned to McKinley, um, which was a little bit of a nice change of pace, uh, just getting a receiver more involved. Tremble, did, did Tommy Tremble even have a catch? I don't think he did. He had a couple targets. I don't believe he had a catch. He had one, he had one drop and one, uh, one catch where he landed out of bounds. Uh, but other than that, he was mostly used. Uh, we saw the huge counter plays that Notre Dame ran with a ton of success today. And he was mainly the the main polar, the main blocker on that, uh, opening up the gaps. Yeah, but the, it was really nice to see, you know, Avery Davis had a catch. Braden Lindsey had a couple catches, one for a touchdown. 
Brock Wright had a couple of catches. Michael Mayer gets his first career touchdown. Um, I mean, yeah, the offense, would, it really impressed me. Um, do you think that, uh, especially considering those three weeks they were off, um, do you think that uh, this was sort of a fluky thing, maybe had a lot to do with Florida State? Um, and then what do you think of, like, same question for the defense, because they, they obviously struggled a little bit, at least by their standards. Yeah, I mean, this might sound more optimistic than they deserve at this point, but I would say that I think the offense wasn't a fluke, and that's mainly because they kept the same approach. If, you know, anyone out there listening was gracious enough to read my column this week, I talked about how Notre Dame was going to focus more on running the ball, and that was kind of my guess based on how they approached the USF game, and they showed that again tonight with 350 rushing yards versus 200 through the air, and so I think what they're doing is building a really sustainable approach to winning games. And that's having two guys in the backfield. If one of them's having an off day, you've got just two absolutely elite athletes and a quarterback who can make a big throw when he needs to, hopefully. Um, and so I think the offense showed a much more, I mean, granted Florida state's defense is pretty, is pretty shaky, but I think the offense proved they have a really sustainable approach to winning and the emergence of McKinley as a number one receiver can only help that moving forward. And then defensively, I would say that was more of the rust. I thought the issues that were, you know, missed tackles, um, struggling to deal with a mobile quarterback that they had, like, pretty much no film on as well. Uh, Jordan Travis wasn't named the starter until Tuesday, I think. So it was definitely that, the idea of, like, not having really live action. I think that Brian Kelly said they had one live action scrimmage in that three-week layoff. And so not having live action – missed uh, missed tackles uh definitely fatigue from just having to work really hard to catch up for the game this week so there's a lot of issues that i thought were strictly due to the layoff and not necessarily due to any kind of scheme issue yeah i think those are all good points and uh travis certainly impressed me um i maybe i was a little just uh biased by what i had recently seen from the usf quarterback who could not complete a pass to save his life um, but I assume Travis as a dual threat would be more of a runner than a passer. And to a degree he was, but finishing 13 of 24 for 204 yards and touchdown definitely, um, I think opened a lot of eyes, uh, especially when you consider that he was behind James Blackman to start the year. Um, the running game was great. I'm looking at the stats now. Kyron Williams, 185 yards, two touchdowns. Chris Dyrie, 104, a touchdown. Book, nine carries, 58 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, McKinley, five receptions, 107 yards. Lindsey had 29 yards and a touchdown. Mayer had 25 and a touchdown. Uh, it, it, I mean, is it just me, or did you think that this Ian Book we saw, at least for the majority of the game, looked a lot like the 2018 version of Ian Book? That's exactly what I thought, and I think – you know, I'm going to keep harping on the idea that idea of McKinley. I think Ian Book has spent most of his career as a starter with a clear number one option, like that safety blank that you can go to. And I think he found that he might have that in McKinley this year, where as before, we didn't really know that. And just from the start, even even with without that connection, he was just looking sharp. He was looking more decisive. Um, he didn't let, you know, there's, I think, when FSU took the lead, that came off after a drive when there's a drop pass by Joe Wilkins. And I think in 
previous games, we've seen that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff make Book lose confidence in his receivers. And he really didn't. I think Notre Dame scored on the next three possessions after that. He hit his longest pass of the year at 36 yards. So I think he looked a lot more sharp and a lot more ready to attack, play attacking football. And, you know, having guys like McKinley in a running game to lean on for the first time that I can remember Notre Dame having a running game to lean on is definitely helpful. Yeah, just a little reminiscent of, you know, the offensive line opening holes for Dexter Williams and Book uh, feasting on those sort of short to intermediate, making plays with his legs. Uh, 16 of 25 completions isn't going to uh, impress a lot of people, but, you know, taking out what happened at the end of the game uh, for the majority of the game, it was looking like the end book that, uh, that won the job from Brandon Wimbush. Um so with that, and we'll get more into this in our regular weekly, uh, we'll get more into this game in our regular weekly podcast. But for now, uh, since this is an instant reaction, we'll talk a little bit about what happened around college football today um, and how it pertains to Notre Dame in the rankings and their uh, postseason hopes. Um, obviously, Texas falls to Oklahoma in the Red River shootout again. Um, Big 12 essentially eliminating itself from CFP contention because I do not foresee uh, TCU or Kansas State, whoever won that game, uh, winning out and making a playoff spot. Um, the big one, Texas A&M upsets Florida, uh, who was ranked number four. Notre Dame at number five, likely to slide into that spot. Ole Miss nearly upsets Alabama, uh, but the Crimson Tide get a couple of cushion touchdowns at the end of the game. Um, what, what do you, in terms of the grander picture, um, cause those are obviously not ACC games. What do you, do you, do you think there's any conceivable way, and this is probably a stupid question that Notre Dame would jump Alabama given the way they struggled a bit against Ole Miss? I don't think so. And you know, there's obviously the, the AP poll bias that comes with Bama being ranked one or two every year, pretty much regardless of who they lost and who they have, it feels like, but I, I'm not going to say I was expecting, because I wouldn't say I was expecting Ole Miss to be tied with Bama that late in the game, but Ole Miss has a really strong offense, and we've seen them put up 35 on Florida. We saw them put up 42 on Kentucky and now 48. So maybe while they struggled a little bit more, I mean, Bama's offense put up 63 points, which is absurd regardless of the opponent. If you're playing an SEC game and you put up 63 points, that's just Najee Harris had five touchdowns, which is absurd. Um, he might be a running, you know, he's going to be a running back in Heisman contention all year. So I don't think it was anything. And like you said, that touchdowns at the end makes the 15 point win. I don't think that's anything that's going to make considering, you know, Notre Dame beats Florida State by 16. I don't think that's going to make any voters want to jump, make Notre Dame jump uh, over Bama in this situation. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's good for Notre Dame that the SEC is starting to tear itself apart just a little bit um, with, uh, LSU getting its second loss, and uh, Ole Miss challenged Alabama, didn't beat them, but Florida losing is the big one. Um, and since you mentioned Kentucky, just want to shout out my Wildcats, getting their first win, 24-2 to against Mississippi State. Yes, they gave up a safety. It's Kentucky football. Take what I can get. All right, on to the ACC. Um, Friday night, Louisville and Georgia Tech in action. Georgia Tech puts up 46 on the Cardinals. What is wrong with Louisville's defense? 
I can't even begin to, I was so shocked when I wasn't even following the game Friday night. Um, but I woke up and I was like, I wonder how Louisville did looked it up. And I was just stunned. I was like, how do you give up 46 points to Georgia tech? Like they are their, their quarterback four. Sims, Georgia tech's quarterback, 11 of 21. Those 11 completions went for 249 yards. Jeff Sims, I mean, that's ridiculous, like how many yards per, per completion. But Jeff th- Sims throws interceptions to everybody and their grandmother. He has turned the ball over at an ungodly rate. And, and somehow zero. And somehow Louisville doesn't pick him off, gives up 46 points, gives up whatever that math, like 20, I not that good at math that quick, uh, 21, 22 yards per, ca- per completion. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about this differential. Uh, 22.6 yards. Per right, I was actually relatively close to it being 1 a.m. right now, so I'm pretty happy. Um, but, yeah, like, that's just absurd. Louisville was a team that I thought – I didn't think they were going to challenge for the ACC title, but I thought they were going to be decent, and they have not been decent. They've been really horrendous so far. The only team – I mean, they were close against Pitt, who isn't looking that good after two straight losses anyways – uh, they got blown out by Miami, blown out of the water by Georgia Tech, who I was convinced was the worst team in the ACC before that. And all I can say is I'm a lot less scared about Notre Dame playing Louisville next week. I thought that was a trap game. Maybe it still is, but it feels a lot less at, like it after you lose by 19 to Georgia Tech. Especially considering they're, you know, like they only put up 27. They're, you know, they have this vaunted offense under Scott Satterfield. Mikhail Cunningham goes 19 to 33 for 229 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, but he takes three sacks. Um, and Hawkins runs for 155. Uh, Tutu Atwell, only 52 yards receiving. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we all knew that Notre Dame's schedule was getting easier when they went to a full ACC slate, but this is, this is kind of ridiculous. Uh, you mentioned Pitt, so we'll move on to their game. They also played a common opponent with Notre Dame, Boston College. Um, typical ACC. Um, Pitt forces overtime with a 58-yard field goal, and that same kicker misses an extra point to lose the game. Uh, they they felt a little of that pain Kentucky did, and that's the last time I mentioned Kentucky in this podcast. I just love the shoe being on the other foot for once. Uh, Kenny Pickett, 25 of 48, 266 yards, two touchdowns. I can't figure out how good of a quarterback this guy is. He's all right. He's going to be like a seventh round draft pick. He's going to be a guy he might make a practice. He's, he's decent. He's not going to win a Heisman. He's not a guy that you would want quarterbacking a national championship contender. I would, I would verge to say he's a slightly less talented Ian book with a lot less talented of a surrounding cast. I think, I think he's a decent, he's maybe above average, but he doesn't, he might make a few big plays, but he's not going to wow you like consistently. And I think he doesn't have a Javon McKinley, a Kyron Williams, a Chris Tyree to bail him out when he's having a tougher game. And I don't think he's built to have to throw 48 times a game and win. Like that's just, it, it didn't go well. Um, on the other side of the ball, Phil Dracovic, uh, he goes uh, 19 of 35, 358 yards, three touchdowns. Uh Two beautiful-looking passing touchdowns, but for a lot of the game, they couldn't move the ball. Also took five sacks. His rush counting sacks, his rushing totals were 12 carries for negative 42 yards and one touchdown. Um, I mean, 
Boston College had this vaunted offensive line coming into the season. I think one of them was picked over Liam Eikenberg, his first team all ACC. And it's, uh, at, I mean, the way they played against North Carolina and Pitt now, I, I, and Liam Eikenberg was out there against FSU with one eye. Like, this is against the first round draft picks on Florida State's team. So, uh, proving the doubters wrong there. Um, we were talking a little bit about Djokovic before the podcast. What 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 was your take on him again? Uh, yeah, Djokovic. I mean, you'll hear some of the more, um, and I'll use I'll use your favorite word, angsty Notre Dame fans. Um, they who will say that they they think we should have kept Djokovic over a book, and they think he's better, he's more talented, and like you know, there's arguments to be made about maybe the more natural talent. But I don't think, at least right now, the question of having a third-year veteran starter, fifth-year, you know, fifth-year overall, third-year starter on Notre Dame's offense versus Dracovic is definitely, like, undoubtedly the advantage goes to having Book. Dracovic has looked good with BC. Um, I don't think I've ever watched him play and been like, I can't believe we let him go. I think he's pretty good. I think he's playing for BC. He hasn't, you know, like I said, Pitt – that team's looking not so impressive anymore. Their defense looked really good and then got torn apart by NC State. Djokovic was inconsistent. When he was on, he was really on, but he, like, makes mistakes. He takes sacks, a lot of mental errors. Um, BC really shouldn't have had to go to overtime to win that game. They were up 10 in the fourth quarter. Djokovic had a lot of opportunities to put the game away and just didn't. So I didn't – I wasn't overly impressed with him as an overall quarterback. I thought, you know, the talent level is there, but he doesn't do – there's a lot of things wrong with his performance, in my opinion. Uh, moving on to the big one, the nightcap, game day game, uh, Miami-Clemson. Clemson comes out with a 42-17 win. Trevor Lawrence, just doing Trevor Lawrence things, 29-41, 292 yards, three touchdowns, one sack. Um, Travis Etienne, 17 carries, 149 yards, two touchdowns. Miami, Derek King really struggled, 12 of 28 passing, 121 yards, two interceptions, four sacks. Um, and he also led them in rushing with 84 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the rest of their team combined for five yards rushing. Um, so Clemson dominating as Clemson usually does. Seven of Miami's points were because of a blocked field goal at the end of the half. Clemson tried kicking it from 61 yards for whatever reason. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there's not a whole lot to take away from that game. Uh, were you concerned at all going in that Miami might beat them and then Notre Dame could theoretically lose to Clemson and be left out of the ACC championship, or did you just never see Miami as that level? I never was concerned that Clemson was going to win um, or not going to win, I should say. It, w it was funny that you mentioned that. I think a lot of people forgot that Notre Dame was supposed to be rooting for Clemson in that game. People are just so excited to see the possibility of Clemson losing and that if Clemson actually lost that game, that would have been really bad for Notre Dame, like you said, because we don't play Miami, we don't control the rest of their schedule, and then losing to Clemson and all of a sudden you're out of the ACC championship picture. So I was definitely – I was like – I was the, the football fan inside me was like, it would be really cool if Clemson loses, but the Notre Dame fan is like, please, please don't blow this. And they didn't. They looked scarily good. I really would have liked Clemson to win by a lot less 
um, to make me feel more confident about that game on November 7th. They look, I mean, Travis Etienne was a monster. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was a beast. I, the entire team scares me right now. Their defense, Miami's offense was on an absolute roll coming in, averaging 40-something points a game, 52 against FSU, um, 47 against Louisville, which, to be fair, is looking a lot less impressive now. But uh, they, I mean, just absolutely nothing outside. I think Derrick King had one run for, like, 56 yards. Outside of that, their offense did absolutely nothing all game. And Derrick King is a good quarterback. Like, that is a very talented dual-threat quarterback. Some people are saying he was the best QB Clemson's faced since Lamar. Might be an overreaction, might not be. He's a really good quarterback, and Clemson just made him look like he was – I don't even know. Like he was like a water boy. Like he didn't look like he belonged on the same field as the Clemson defense. And that scared me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we can now draw all these connections between, you know, they put up Miami puts up 52 on uh, Florida state and you wouldn't expect Notre Dame to put up that many coming off three weeks. But Notre Dame still put up 42, which was somewhat surprising them. And they missed a field goal and decided to go for it on fourth down at the end of the game. So and cover the spread they missed the spread not to expose myself as a degenerate gambler but that made me sad i think i nailed that factor fiction though that florida state covers uh yeah i think i nailed every other factor fiction so i'm okay with it i cover i got the interception the two rushers i was feeling pretty good the spread looking at our predictions i've started keeping track this season jimmy's in the lead right now i'm second i think you you might yeah i think you're third and then it goes ellen and charlotte ellen and charlotte are close there well, um, Ellen, Ellen probably never picks us to cover so she's at least wrong some of the time <laughs> uh but yeah uh Derek King obviously quality quarterback but I think uh we can agree that uh the reason Notre Dame has a shot against Clemson and Miami didn't is because Notre Dame has a great offensive line great tight ends and Brian Kelly talked about how that opened up the running game against FSU and if there's any team that could manage to do that to protect their quarterback and get a run game going against Clemson. It's Notre Dame with the weapons they got. Um, and, and that's, you know, down the road, everyone's already talking about Clemson. We don't need to keep harping on that for now. Let's, uh, let's move on to the really sort of interesting matchup, which was North Carolina, Virginia tech, um, which you said you are now scared uh, because of the way North Carolina looked. Um, I think, Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams combined for 100 or 289 yards, and uh, UNC's two quarterback uh, running backs combined for 383 and four touchdowns on the ground. Um, Sam Howell, 18 of 23, 257 yards, three touchdowns, in a 56-45 UNC win. Uh, what what was your takeaway from that game? Uh, that UNC can really score a lot of points. Uh, I wasn't so they beat BC by four points last week, um, needed a two point conversion stop that they ended up returning for a safety or whatever that's called, I guess, when you return it to, I don't know if that's called safety to be honest, but they returned that for two points. That's how they won the game. Um, I wasn't so scared. And then they came out against Virginia tech, who was two and O ranked 19th and they dropped 56 points. Like it was nothing that like at one point it was, I think 42 to 37 and it never crossed my mind that UNC was going to lose just because of how easy they were making it look, just carving up Virginia Tech's defense. Their running backs were 
on another level today. Like you said, 383 yards between the two of them. How will, like, we've known he's a good quarterback, and he's, it's scary to me that if he's starting to play at that level now, where he's going to be in late November when Notre Dame plays them. And especially if, regardless of the results of the Clemson game, if we, if Notre Dame beats Clemson and they're playing for the undefeated season at that point, a potential number one, number two spot in the CFP, then like that's a massive trap game and potentially a matchup with an undefeated opponent. I'm not sure who UNC doesn't face Clemson until after, so they might be undefeated at that point. Um, and then if we lose to Clemson, you're playing for your spot in the ACC championship, which is equally scary because that's your entire eligibility for this college football playoff. So either way, that's a dangerous time of the game. That's going to be your last real tough opponent. And if they're putting up those kind of numbers now, it's definitely nerve wracking on what they can do. And we'll have to see what, you know, kind of monitor what they do against more quality defenses moving forward. Yeah. Well, they did give up 45 to Virginia tech. And I mean, part of it might've been the fact that Hendon hooker, uh, only played in the second half for Virginia Tech. Maybe if he plays the whole game, that turns out a little bit differently, but who knows. Um, and, yeah, that is certainly something Notre Dame has to watch out for. I think a lot of people anticipated that with how highly touted a quarterback like Sam Howell was. Um, and so that's that's the big ones. Uh, Syracuse, uh, Duke beat Syracuse, right? 28-14. Finally 30, 38-24. 38-24. And uh, they, they benched Chase Bryce, didn't they? I actually did not see – I'm gonna, not going to lie, those two teams didn't exactly keep my interest, uh, especially with the, the Florida-Texas A&M game. I can check right now for sure. I got it. Uh, Chase Bryce, 22 of 38, so it looks like he stayed in the game. They had one, other, they had one other quarterback throw a pass for 12 yards. Um, yeah. I, know, I know Bryce, he threw an interception, and he got a strip sack. But um, looks like – It was Duke's first win. Um, a little, it was, it's been a little disconcerting, uh, since the Duke game. And I'm, I'm a little less worried about the offense now. Kind of, I think they've kind of found their identity, but it's, it was a little concerning seeing how many teams were putting up a lot of points on Duke because I kind of walked out of the game and be like, Hey, Duke's got a pretty good defense. They're going to be pretty good. And then they were 0 four giving up like 30 a game. And I was like, well, that's not great. Not a great look for Notre Dame. So it's, it was nice to see them win a game pretty convincingly, even if it's against Syracuse. Well, it is the ACC. Everything's chaotic there. Um, so, been over all of it. Um, with all of that said, we had your biggest takeaways from the game. Give me, uh, as we close this out, your biggest uh, positive going forward and your biggest worry um, based on what you saw from Notre Dame and from the rest of the teams on their schedule. Uh, absolutely. Uh, okay, biggest – Biggest positive, uh, I'll keep harping on it. I think they have a far more sustainable approach to winning right now. Um, they're not asking Ian Book to carry them. And Ian Book's a good quarterback, but I don't think he's going to be able to carry Notre Dame to a national championship. So to have two or three players that you can ask to share that load, you've got a freshman who's not playing like a freshman, you know, a sophomore who's not playing like this is his first real year of you know, Ryan, I think he had four carries last year. So he's, you know, he got two guys that have never played legitimate D1 football and are playing like they're seniors. And so you've got guys that are taking the load off of Ian Book. So I think when it comes down to it, if you look at the last few Notre Dame losses last year, their top two rushers combined for 29 yards against Michigan, 46 against 
Georgia, something like that, uh, against Clemson in the playoff loss. They had almost nothing on the ground. So that's been a key issue for Notre Dame in competing these big games. It's generally not – like that's – if you were to point out one thing that hasn't gone well, it's been the run game in every single big game they've played recently. And so to have these two guys that are just tearing it up, granted not against exact, exact murderer's row of defenses, but they're looking really good. So that's definitely the most positive thing for me going forward is I think the coaching staff is building this approach that's going to help them win a big game, hopefully, later this year. Um, biggest concern, I – well, I, I'm not going to lie. A lot of my upcoming concerns were the trap games with Pitt and Louisville, which sound like nothing now. Um, I really feel like the obstacles are kind of off the schedule to the Clemson game. I'm, I'm going to say that with my fingers crossed that nothing else happens. But I would say then the biggest, and I'm not that concerned about the defense. I'm just going to say the biggest obstacle is Clemson. They, <laughs> biggest negative, biggest concern, it's Clemson. It has been all year. And they looked really, really scary. I don't think Notre Dame would have beat my, I'm going to be, you know, if Miami came to Notre Dame tonight, I don't think Notre Dame wins by 25. And granted, that's coming off the layoff. I don't think Notre Dame beats Miami by 25, possibly at any point this season, unless Miami really proves to not be that good of a team. But Clemson concerned me with how good they looked and how average they made a really good Miami offense look. So that would be my biggest concern. It's not internal. It's exclusively the absolute monster that's coming to South Bend on November 7th. Both, both very valid, and going forward, we will exclude Clemson as that is a given whenever we talk about our biggest concerns. Um, Aiden, thank you so much for agreeing to do this so late. Um, go get some sleep because it is 1.17 a.m. and you've had a long, long game uh, behind you. But I hope it was fun. Um, all right. On behalf of Aiden Thomas, my name is Hayden Adams. This has been the Instant Reaction Basement Breakdown.